0: i um, glad to see some moms, a lot of moms, and believe it or not, you wouldn't be here without your mom, and so uh, be sure, if you have not texted, called, emailed, and sent a certified letter, you do that uh, before the end of business day. Uh, make sure you do that, and if you get a chance to feed your mom today, that's even better. Food is like the universal gift that says, I love you, let's eat. Um, so yeah, man, there were a few of us last night, I'm surprised I still have a voice, uh, we went to see Nate Bergotzi and at one point somebody texted said was it good i'm like my head is splitting and i almost passed out at the very end of it it was hilarious and so if you ever get a chance to go like this is not a church thing or anything but he's clean he's funny and man it's a good workout so i needed to see how many calories we burned last night because i bet it was a lot uh we are we're back together today we're glad to see everybody um if you did notice we we have new t-shirts by the way they're back there on the table uh they're 15 dollars $15, $5 $15, $5 for every shirt that's sold in the month of May goes to help send our kids to camp. They're back on the table. There's most of our shirts there. We've got a few more on the way, so if you wanna take a peek and grab one of those, you can. There's a QR code, you scan it, and you can pay us directly, digitally. Hey, no no problem, piece of cake. Um, and if you decide to pay cash, just stick it in an envelope and drop it in the booty box back there too. So we'll be glad to take that. So uh, just good to see everybody. Um, man, let me pray, and then we're gonna jump in. So. God, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you, God, for a gospel that we need to hear, that we get to realize, and that, God, we're blessed to proclaim. Um, Father, in light of that gospel, you've called us to live differently, to be different. Um, Father, for our trajectory to be altered for eternity. And, God, we're grateful. Thank you that in Jesus' name we can know you, uh, be known by you, and make you known. Father, today as we look at your word, I pray that we look at it correctly. We don't add to or take away anything. Pray that you would speak to teach us who we need to be in light of who you are and who you've called us out to be. We love you. This in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we are in week two of a series called The Gospel and Money. Like, I'll be honest, like in the time that I've been uh, in, in church ministry professionally, I think I've, I've taught on money cumulatively now twice. Last week being one of those. And, and I'm grateful that as a church family, like, we, we don't really have to ask for money. Now, that's not to say that we have money and we don't need it, but I'm grateful we've never had to make that pitch and make that plea. And, and like we talked about last week, if you weren't here, you didn't listen, like the point of these next several weeks and last week too, this is not us begging for money, okay? This is not to say, you need to be better, give more, do more. We're not saying that. Um, we talked about money is, if we're thinking about it correctly, it's not a budgeting issue, it's a discipleship issue. This, this is, revolves around this idea that how we handle our money reveals how we follow Jesus. Believe it or not, because they're not separate. They're not compartmentalized. We don't have Jesus in our bank accounts. We just have Jesus. And as a result of having Jesus, knowing Jesus, being known by Jesus, the way we use, think about, spend, and dwell on money should be altered for the rest of our life. Whether you're in high school and you make $20 a week cutting grass or whether you're a professional and you have six figures coming in every year, it doesn't matter. Like, money is God's. It's His. Um, we're His. And so as a result of money being His and us being His, there's just ideas that need to be thought about and and talked about well and so that's the purpose and the intent of these next several weeks and we kind of gave some stats last week too like if you weren't here uh, go back and listen but a few things like why is this so important Um, and we talked about 40% of divorces 40% of divorces so that's 20% of marriages because divorce rates about 50% or a little more 40% of divorces happen as a result of money money like financial disagreements within marriage, you know, whatever that may be. And then suicides, 20% contributing cause is money and financial stuff. And we talked about you go in prison and you ask people, you take a poll. A majority of people that are going to be in prison, they either stole something or they killed somebody for something. Um, And so prisons are filled with people that wanted someone else's money. And so as a society, as people, it's plagued us from the get-go. Like from the very beginning of possessions, uh, shortly after sin entered and we were kicked out of the garden, there were possessions that, that altered the way that we think about the things that God owns and how he's given them to us. And so we need to be able to think clearly and diligently about those. So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 25. And I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of a warning. Today we're looking at a parable. Um, maybe a topical series, but we're still exegetical in nature. So we're going to look at a large chunk of scripture and handle it that way. Uh, but this is a parable, and so when we read parables, we need to to look at it or handle it with the right gloves um, or view it through the right lenses. Whatever metaphor you choose to use, um, it is a parable, and so as a parable, it is a, a metaphorical story meant to convey eternal truths. And so this particular parable, like it's going to mention something called talents. This isn't the talent of singing, dancing, songwriting, not those talents, but talents being a measure of money or finance – But even though it mentions that kind of an idea, like this could be about anything that God has given us, which he intends for us to use. So the overall idea of this passage is about just like stewardship of all things. Like in church world, we'd say time, talents, treasure. You know, how we steward our time, how we steward our talents, how do we steward our treasure. But today, like for the sake of this, we are going to focus on the treasure aspect. Like how do we steward that? And so, we're going to start Matthew 25, verse 14, read through this whole thing, uh, talk through these big takeaways, these eternal truths, and then we're going to kind of talk about what does this mean in the scope of how we view, how we use, what do we do with our money. So, let's jump right in. Matthew 25:14. By the way, my name is Matthew. Not this Matthew, but, but hey, Matthew, if I didn't get to meet you today, I see some faces of people that I don't know, and I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, it's good to meet you. Yeah, let's, let's chat afterwards. Uh, here we go. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! Exclamation point. Just like to put those in there. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, a parable. So last week we talked about, uh, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. That was kind of the solution for all the things that we were looking at last week. It was the Sermon on the Mount. This, on the other hand, is kind of at the tail end of Jesus' time, right before the crucifixion comes. And it's almost, it's not quite like the last ditch effort, but it's his final parting words to his disciples. Before he was handed over, before he was beaten, before the mock trial, before all of that kind of stuff. And in the midst of these, there are about three parables right here that kind of hold together. And it's kind of pointing towards, hey, at some point... I'm coming back. Like, I'm returning, and when I return, I want you to think about a few things. I want you to know these before I come back. And this is one of the ideas that he put in there. And I think that bears some pretty good weight. Like, one of the last things that he decided to teach before the crucifixion was like, look, uh, you need to look at the things that I have given you, and you need to think well about those and understand their place, understand your responsibility, and understand the outcome. And so that's what he chose to talk about. And so, going through here, a couple of things before we, we kind of jump into like the hardcore money application. Like I said, these talents, um, this was a measure of money. If we go back and we look, most likely it was a, a weight kind of an idea, like how much a certain uh, method or, or uh, a piece of exchange would weigh, like how much silver would weigh. So, just like hypothetically, this could be one talent could be $400,000, depending on in recession, the economy, all that kind of stuff. But either way, we're not talking about five or $10. We're talking about a lot of money, a lot of wealth, a very gracious act of trusting someone to steward stuff well. And so to one, he gives five, to one, he gives two, to one, he gives one. And so the first thing that we need to notice is that God knows our capacity. Like these are some eternal truths that we can pull out of this particular parable without getting in the weeds of trying to figure out metaphors like God knows our capacity. In this first part, in verse 15, he says, To one he gave five, uh, to one he gave two, to another one, one, each according to his ability. This very generous master, this very generous God, he knows what we're capable of. He knows what we're uh, able to handle. Now, this is not to say, you know, God's never going to give you anything more than you can handle because that's taking stuff out of context. But when we're talking about stewardship ideas, like, he knows what he can entrust to you because he knows you. He made us. Like, he made each one of us, cell by cell, frame by frame, and so he knows what our capabilities are. And so one guy, he knew, you could, you could probably handle five talents, which is a lot of money. You know, maybe $2 million, depending on our math, and if it's good or not. And so then he gave another guy, potentially $800,000, because he knew that he was capable. But then that other guy, he gave just $100,000, maybe four hundred, just, you know, something small. But either way, God knows our capabilities, The second thing that we see after this is uh, God expects us, without instruction, God expects us to steward his things well. Let me say it again. God expects us to steward his things well. Like from the very beginning, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So he didn't give them things for them to say, mine. No, he said, this is mine. I'm the master. It belongs to me, all of it, and I'm going to place it on your table, and I am expecting you to do things with it, to do good things with it. And that expectation is based upon a couple of things. And we see the converse of this later by the confession of the one guy who went and buried it. I'll give that away. We see the confession on the contrary. is like, I knew you to be a hard man, I knew you to be a man that that worked off other people's gain. I knew you to be that guy. And the master's response is, you knew what? What? Like there's a question mark at the end of that. You, You knew what? God expects us to steward his resources well because we know him. God expects us to steward his resources well because if we are his, we should know him. Like the sheep hear me and they know my voice, that kind of an idea. If we know the character, the nature, the heart, the mission, the drawing of Jesus, like we should know that his generosity stretches far beyond mine, stretches far beyond yours, stretches far beyond our we's, like we know that his generosity is without ends. And if we know him, we're pursuing him, we're chasing him, we're trying to be more like Jesus every single day. When he puts something on our plate, if we are striving to be like Christ, we want to use it the way that he would use it. All of this is his. He, he grants it to us to use on his behalf. Without instruction, he expects us to steward his resources well. Now, like I said, because of this, is, this being a parable, yes, like this could be, could be money. He expects us to steward it well. It, it could be our time. He expects us to steward it well. Our relationships, he expects us to steward them well. Our talents and our gifts, he expects us to steward it well. All of those things without necessary instruction. We should just know based upon what we know about God. And so if there is a flaw, if there is a flaw in the way we steward things, there's likely a flaw in the way that we know God. Put that one in your pocket. If there's a flaw to the way that we steward things, there's likely a flaw in the way that we know God. And that, that's like the biggest eternal truth in this passage that we can take away. Like if we struggle with our resources, all of them, then maybe we don't know God as well as we think we do. We'll keep going. I think with us too, we struggle with the idea of investment and return. We struggle with the idea of investment and return. So it says, he who had received, starting in verse 20, and he who had received five talents came forward bringing five talents more. He doubled it, saying, Master, you delivered to me five. Here, I've made five talents more. Verse 21, here's the master's response. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's two rewards for stewarding what God gives us well two rewards and neither of these compute with our general understanding of investments because generally when we think of investing we think of uh, the return like we think of the rate rate of investment rate of return that kind of thing like if I put in five I hope to get out 250 and that's good and I I put that in my coffer here on the other hand Jesus says uh, as he's telling this this parable he's like the master says yeah I'm gonna give you five And I expect you to do something good with it. The guy comes back, says, I've made you five more. He says, okay, I'm going to trust you with even more now. So the reward is more responsibility and joy. Twofold. More responsibility and joy. And that's hard for us to do when we think about me investing more money without possibly seeing a rate of return that equals more money for me. But God's saying, look, I'm going to give you what's mine and trust it to you to do right with what is mine. And if you do well, I'm going to give you more of what's mine to do more with what's mine and bring me back more of what's mine. And in that, you're going to find joy and celebration. Like, again, if we go back and think about what we looked at last week, if if we don't have an idea or this proper understanding that everything is his— then this will never make sense. Like, if we don't start with that place where, you know, starting in the very first part of this parable, again, entrusted to them his property. If we start at any other place because we have an inaccurate or incomplete view of who God is, and we start thinking that this is mine, this is mine, and he's got his, I've got mine, if we do that, none of this is going to make sense. It's not going to add up. It's going to be really weird. But instead, we start with knowing who God is the best that we possibly can. It's going to be flawed, but God's going to build on that through his spirit, through his word, through his people. We get to know him better. We get to know what kind of heart he has for his people, his things, what he intends to do with his people and his things, and we understand that all of this is his. And then from that place, yes, God, you give me what's yours. I'm going to take it. I'm going to utilize it to give you more back, and then I'm going to find my ultimate joy there. Like, there's our solution for how we think about money. Right there it's all yours. You've trusted me with it to do good things with it, and I'm going to bring you glory for that, and that's where I'm going to find my joy. Not my 401k. You know, that's okay if you got a 401k. You know, that's a 401k for those of you who don't speak that language. You know, 401ks, that's great. You know, or your IRA. You know, if you got an IRA, those are good. Those are fine. But at the end of the day, it's all God's. He's entrusting us with it, and he's saying, go in my name, do good things with it, and the rate of return that you're going to get if you do well is more responsibility with my stuff and joy. The New Living Translation, I love the way it translates this. Instead of saying, uh, enter into the joy of your master, it says, now come, let's celebrate. Now come, let's celebrate. I gave you five. You made five. You brought them to me. That's awesome. I'm going to give you more. Now let's, let's have a party. Let's have a party. We think joy very often is very, you know, small, one-dimensional, maybe a, a closet smile here and there. But no, he's like, no, 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 let's, you did great. Thank you for viewing me well. Thank you for using the stuff that I gave you well. And now let's have a party. That's the attitude of the master. So joy and responsibility, ultimate rewards. And then kind of repeating one of the other eternal truths, we kind of led with it. But again, those who know God well will seek to invest his stuff well. Those who know God well will seek to invest his stuff well. And again, we get to kind of figure this out by the, the contrary, starting in verse 24. He said, he also who had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. Basically, Master, I knew you to be that guy who makes money off other people, not his own labor. And, and I knew you to, to be that guy that I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to take off. So what I did, I buried it. I buried it. I kept it safe from the rest of the world. Like, I just dug a hole, put it in a Folger's can, covered it up. I think that's what our grandparents used to do, supposedly, when Folger cans were metal. You know, they rust, by the way. But either way, you know, what our grandparents didn't know only hurts us. So he's like, I, I buried it in the backyard. And so I, I didn't want to, you know, I knew that I couldn't, couldn't mess with the harsh man. And so he said all these things to the master, and the master kind of turned them around. Same exact words, but with a question mark. He was like, you knew that I was a harsh man. I gathered where I didn't sow, that I reaped off of other. You, you knew that? Basically, his question just reveals that's, that's not who I am. You have no idea who I am, and that's the reason you did nothing with what I entrusted to you. You did nothing with it. Yeah, you went and hid it. That's great. There's no return there. If we know God well in his ways, when he grants us his resources, we will steward them well, with or without instruction, just as a byproduct of knowing God. And you're like, man, that's crazy. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. We think that we need to learn more so that we can be better. Instead, we need to understand that the gospel transforms us at a very DNA level. To change how we think, to change how we love, to change how we respond, to change who we are. We look at this Corinthian idea behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Look! That stuff's no longer who you are. You have a new identity in Christ. And one way that we are new in Christ is we stop thinking about all of this stuff that I gather unto me because then I start to think, you know what, it's not mine anyway. My money, my children, my job, my talents, my skills, my passions, my relationships, my world, my home, my car, my driveway, all of those things that we stamp our name on when we begin to know God, we understand that He owns it all. And He's incredibly generous with it. Cause I'm going to give it to you in my name for my glory but because I'm trusting you with the changes I have wrought in you. As a byproduct of sanctification, God making us look more and more like Jesus, the way that we steward God's resources should not be the same as it was before we knew Jesus. Mine needs to be erased from my vocabulary. And man, that's hard. Because I work hard for mine. You work hard for yours. But the reality is, in a kingdom economy, in which the king owns everything and loves us generously, it's not ours. It's not ours. We're just called to watch it for a while. To be managers. To be stewards, is the word. So those who truly know God will seek to invest well. And then... Man, and he, here's the other thing, especially given the context of this passage. He's coming back. And he's going to ask us about it, our investments. <laughs> we don't talk about that a lot, but he is. Like, he's coming back. And he wants to know what we've done with his stuff. You say, Is he going to ask me? I think he is. We're going to be held accountable. Like, granted, my sins are not held against me eternally, but the way that I've stewarded God's things, His message, His mission, His gospel, all of those things, I'm going to be held accountable for that. For whether or not I shared the gospel with the person that the Spirit prompted me to share the gospel with, whether I did or did not do that, I'm going to be asked about that. I truly believe it. And then all those things that He's put on my plate and said, this is mine, I'm granting it to you. I want you to watch it. I want you to do good things with it. I think we're going to be asked about that. He's coming back. And it's either, hey, well done, good and faithful and this is not to elicit guilt i'm just i'm just laying it out well done good and faithful servant i'm going to give you more let's have a party or you don't even know who i am two options well done let's party or you don't know me not a lot of wiggle room but at the end of all of it it's going to be do you know god or do you not know god only through Jesus, period. There, there is no wiggle room. It's not about different paths up the same mountain. No, there's one mountain, there's one way, and it's just Jesus. And we have to know God through that. Not know enough about God, not just know his stories, but like truly know God relationally. Janosko, know God. And the end question at the end times is gonna be, do you know me or do you not? The gospel changes everything. So those are the eternal truths about all this stuff. That kind of pop out of that parable, at least the ones we're going to look at. There's other things, but for us today, God knows our capability, expects us to steward his resources well. Joy and responsibility, the ultimate reward. Those who truly know God will seek to invest well, and he's coming back, and he's going to ask. Now here, here's where we get to the money stuff. Um, First Chronicles 29, 12 through 14, it's going to pop up there. There we go. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over it all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all and now we thank you our god and praise your glorious name but who am i and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you and so again we do have to remember that it is all his when it comes to money like thinking very specifically about our bank accounts about our retirement about all that stuff and this is not to make us feel guilty or or to do anything like that about what we have. That's okay, but we need to remember where it came from. Okay, similar idea, but especially when it comes to how we think about money, we need to consider where it comes from. 2 Corinthians 8 9 takes it a step further, and it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is a twofold idea when it comes to how we think about money, how we handle money. Number one, it's all his, but number two, he's already set the standard as to how we handle it. It's all his, and he's already set the standard for how we handle it. And the way that we handle it is with ultimate generosity. This passage from 2 Corinthians right here, he's like, uh, from Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had everything, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He owns it all. He left it all. He left it all on the field, metaphorically and literally speaking, as it spilled out of him. And he did that, one, because he loved us, and he wanted us to be conveyed the idea that everything he has, he's going to entrust to us. But number two, he wanted us to see it so that we would know. Like the one who owns it all was willing to spend it all on our behalf. The one who owns it all was willing to spend it all on our behalf. It's all his, and he's shown us how to use it already. In the life, the death, the resurrection, and the words of Jesus. So he's the owner, he's also the model. And, And that's hard to find. Like in our in our like human context, it's hard to find somebody that literally owns almost all of it, but is ridiculously overtly, conspicuously generous. Ridiculously overtly, conspicuously generous. Uh, you go and you, you look about the people that tip the best, and I think this is a great indicator. The people that tip the best, let me tell you who tips the worst first. The top 1% in our country apparently tip the worst. You're like, you didn't get rich by accident. No, you didn't get rich by accident, but you can still be generous. But either way, like, those are the worst tippers. Now, great. granted, we did talk about last week, if you make over 44K, in the world, you're already in the top 1% of the world. You know, I don't know how that sits in your crawl, but it should. Um... But in this country, the people that tip the worst are the people that have the most. They're the worst tippers. The people who tip the best are like uh, lower to to mid-middle class. The people that have worked their booties off for it and know that it's hard. So they've been there. They've probably waited tables. And they know how hard it is. They know how your feet feel. They know that those back steps that are greasy from all the stuff that was fried in the kitchen. You shouldn't go down there carrying a five-gallon bucket of ice because you're going to fall. They know those things. That's just hypothetically speaking from the one restaurant job that I ever had. It was steep stairs, and clogs are not grippy at all. And it makes a great sound when you drop five gallons, of a bucket of ice that's five gallons big, and you're just boom, 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 boom down the stairs. It's awesome. Yeah, no workman's comp there. But either way, I think that's wrong with my back. I should, I should reach out to them. But either way, like, we've got to understand, it's all his, and he's incredibly generous. That's the way that we should live, too. So if that's the case, this is going to be the most brass tax that I'll give you the most brass tacks that I'll give you, and we're going to get to more like spiritual stuff. If it's all his, and we need to steward it the way he does with great generosity, I think a starting place for us and for a lot of us, and we didn't learn this until about five or six years in marriage. um, And I don't know how God sustained us in those first five to six years of marriage without doing this. If we're planning to be generous like Jesus, okay? if we're planning to understand that he owns it all, we're going to live a different way, we're going to be different, we're going to take what God gives us and steward incredibly well before a lot of us can do that we need to ask a couple questions how much comes in how much goes out Two pretty simple questions how much comes in how much goes out and this is like a little bit of exercise you you go back three months with your bank statement or whatever you use whatever's tracking your expenses and you you add up first number how much came in second number how much went out and then you look at the difference your difference is going to be black or red. If it's black, it's good. If it's red, it's bad. Okay? If it's red, it could be bad for one of two reasons. We talked about a couple of these last week. Number one, you could just be spending more than you make willingly. In which case, there's no margin for you to be generous. There's no margin for you to steward the things of God well because you're misstewarding them. You're spending too much money. If that's the case, if you're living in the red by choosing, you, you have to make adjustments. That's not about getting a better job. That's about spending less. And so what comes in, what goes out? And so, yeah, you got to ask those questions. Now, there's a second reason you could be living in the red, because legitimately you're doing everything that you can. You're working as hard as you possibly can, and you're simply not making enough money, and you can't trim any more expenses. That's the reality. That happens. We're not downplaying that, in which case we talked about it last week. Like if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, uh, we need to work as though we're working for the Lord, honor God with our labor. We do a couple things with that, but one of the things that we do with that is we pray for God's guidance. If you are not making enough money legitimately and you have trimmed everything back, you're living in the red because you simply cannot afford minimal living expenses, then you need to go to God and say, God, I need another job. God, I'm trusting you. I I need another job. Doesn't mean you're not generous in that time. But you you go to God and say, God, I'm doing the best I can and I'm not making it. And you say, direct me. And you trust that he will. You trust that he will. But until that time, you continue to work and do everything that you possibly can. Trim expenses. Do whatever you got to do. Rice, beans, and tuna. I remember those days. We lived on them. And you know, it gets old. But at the same time, about a buck thirty a meal. You can do it. Get everything you need. Fiber, protein, and carbs. Right there. Sorry. That's a side note. I don't like rice, beans, and tuna anymore. I like rice. But anyway. But that may be what you have to do. Figure out what's coming in. Figure out what's going out. Because until you figure out what's coming in, what's going out, you may have no room for generosity. Because you've just been mismanaging the things that God gave you. And again, if we know God, we're going to manage things differently as a result of sanctification. But maybe our first part in that is to do a little bit of math. Now, I'm not saying the B word, the budget word, but maybe you need a budget. Maybe I am saying the word. Maybe you need a budget. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I do believe that we actually need to budget for generosity. We need to budget for generosity and because, you know what, it's important. God's called us to do it. He's called us to steward his resources well. And, yes, we we budget for generosity. So you have to ask, what can I give? Before you ask, what can I give, you have to figure out what's been given and how much do I spend. So what's in, what's out, where's it going? And you may look at that. You're living in the red because you mismanaged funds, and you may need to look at it and be like, man, we've got to do this, this, and this, and not do any more of this for a while. You may have to do that. That's okay. Make that call. And so then that, that brings us into, like, okay, so if it's all God's, he's incredibly generous, he's my benchmark, he's my standard, I know what's coming in, I know what's going out, and, and I've created some margins now, what do I do? Where do I invest? Like, if I'm talking about, and I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, mutual funds, that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm talking about, like, kingdom resources like kingdom funds, kingdom returns, what do I do with it? If you've trusted it all to me, God, and you expect me to do things with it as a result of my new identity, based upon the gospel and just the gospel, just Jesus, what do I do with it? Well, the first thing that you have to do, first thing that you have to do is ask God. Before you do anything else, before you start to budget for it, before you start to plan for it, you ask God, God, where do you want me to give my money? Where do you want me to give the resources that you've entrusted to me? we're. Number one, thank you. We talked about that last week. If we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we're honoring God with our, with our labor, with our job. The first thing we do is we thank God for our money. We thank God for our jobs as a means to support ourselves. That's great. But then after we see those things, we say thank you. We say, okay, God, you've trusted it to me. What do I do with it? Where do I invest it? You don't want me to bury it in the backyard. We've already seen that, okay? Uh, where cans rust and moths destroy or earthworms destroy, whatever. That's going back to something else. But either way, like what. What do you want me to do with it? And so a couple things to think after that. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Bingo. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we pray. And we're like, God, where do you want to direct me to give? Like from the Old Testament all the way forward, like there is the idea of the tithe. And a lot of people have a problem with with the tithe as being a standard. But but let let me go ahead and give this away for you. Jesus never contradicted the tithe. As a matter of fact, he encouraged some people, yes, you still need to continue to tithe. And in the Old Testament, the tithe literally meant a tenth. But in reality, in Hebrew culture, it could be as much as 29% of their annual income because there were several different tithes. Now, we take that to be quite literally like a tenth of what we give. uh, But what you need to do before you go to a percentage is you ask God, God, what do you want me to give? What, how much, and where? What, how much, and where? What, how much, and where do you want me to give? And it could be, I want you to give... This much of your income, I want you to give this much of your time. I want you to give this much of your talent, time, treasure, talents, that kind of idea. like what, where and how much. You ask, and you let him direct you. But I will let the cat out of the bag. Convictionally, I do feel like 10 percent is the bare minimum. Now we can talk about that. I'd love to meet you for coffee and just go over that and tell you why I think that. from a scriptural standpoint, convictionally, for my family, we're a minimum 10 percent giving family. Now it took us a little while to get there. Uh, But we're there, and and that's kind of our minimum. And there's another idea that's that's prevalent in Scripture too, Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. And it doesn't just appear here. It appears a couple times in Proverbs, but it goes all the way back to Abraham. When Abraham entered this covenant relationship with God, when he went from being Abram to Abraham, there was this idea that I'm going to give you the first of what I make, and I'm going to give it to you as soon as I make it. Like, we don't give of the leftovers, we give of the first. Like, that first fruit. That's literally, you know what first fruit means? It means your first fruit. For them, it was like a harvest thing. Like, as soon as you pull it in, as soon as you harvest it, that first bit of that, I'm giving back to God. And again, that takes planning. That takes setting a standard in your home, with your family, with your budget, before you ever do it. Because you have to choose to do it before you do. Because if you don't choose to do it, if you don't plan to do it, when that time comes, realistically, you're not going to do it. You're going to wait and see, what do I have left over? That's called leftovers, not first fruit. And you're going to wait to the end. And guess what? It's probably going to be far less than what God's compelled you to give. That's the reality. And some of this is just like logical process. But God put these things in place so that we could avoid logical process and just think critically about it. Hey, as soon as you get it, give it away. As soon as you get it, give it away. That way, you don't have to wait. You don't have to be like, ah, but, ah, mm, ah. Nope. You don't get to do that. It's already gone it's already gone. And with like digital giving, I know that that takes a little bit of the romance out of it. Like I used to love to write a check, to be honest, and give to the local church and, and be like, uh, God bless this check. Multiply these funds. That's awesome. Like I did. Like I love that. And, and sometimes Abby would sign it and I'd drop it in the box. But I'd pray over that piece of paper. You know, I would. Uh, we don't get to do that anymore. Now it's a push of a button. But that's okay. It's, it's immediate. It's already gone. Before we have a chance to blow it on something else. Before we have a chance to mismanage it, to steward it poorly. Like it's already gone. It's there. And I will say this, as a church family, as a faith family in downtown Greenville where life is expensive, thank you for your generosity. Like, we, we've never missed a bill, like, as a church family. Like, God has been incredibly generous through his people towards us, exceeded far, our, all of our expectations. You can ask our finance team. I think all three of them are here today. Like, it's, it's crazy to see what God has done. Even throughout COVID, when some people were just, like, without work, we were like, where is all this money coming from? Thank you, God, for opening the storehouses for us and letting us do it. It was incredible to watch. And it was incredible to watch us be able to save more than we've ever saved, but give away far more than we've ever given away. That was a lot of fun. Like one of my favorite privileges during COVID was being with my family all day. Even though that could get tedious, it was still fun. Riding bikes in the parking lot behind our house, that was awesome. But writing checks and giving money digitally to people that needed it, because people the people of God have been so generous towards this faith family, I was like, man, this is awesome. I love giving money away. This is great. So thank you for doing that. So first fruits versus leftovers. And you search the scriptures. First fruits pops up a lot. I'm not just making that up. Here's the other thing that we need to consider, though. When God directs you as to what to give, regularly, joyful, sacrificially, that last word comes into play. It will be a sacrifice. It will be a sacrifice. What God compels you to give is going to cost you something. You're like, duh, no. I mean, it's going to cost you. You know, the thing is, a lot of times we're going to do that in versus out, and we're going to be like, well, I've got X left over, so I'll give X. God may ask you to give X plus Y. You're like, but that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but it makes our faith stronger. Some days in God's economy, he's going to ask us to give more than we're comfortable giving. As a matter of fact, let me attach another word to that. A majority of the time, God is going to ask us to give more than we're comfortable giving. And again, this is not me begging you to give to the local church. That's not what I'm talking about. But from a kingdom perspective, like if we look at the people that faithfully and diligently serve God through the Scriptures, I mean, we look at, man, 10 of the 11 faithful disciples gave their life. And the one that didn't, they tried to take it several times. They deep fried him. John, they deep fried him. They said boiled him in oil. You know what that is? That's deep frying. He was deep fried, willing to give their very life. Very often, God's going to ask us to give far more than we're comfortable with. But in that process, what he teaches us, what he guides us, and what he uh, prevails upon us is he's going to take care of us. You go to Malachi, you read Malachi. It's the only place in Scripture where it says, test me. Like, test me in this. Test me. Give. Give, out of, give, give abundantly. And wait and see and watch. I'm going to bless you abundantly, too. That's not the reason that we give, but it is an understanding that it's all God's. And if we're stewarding his stuff well, he's he's going to take care of us. And And I guarantee, like anecdotally, if we talk to people who've been following God for a while and letting him manage their money, there are story after story after story of times in which it did not make sense, but God took care of us. Now, we can't let anecdotes supersede Scripture, but Scripture started there first, and then He's proven it by our time in the saddle, by the way that He's taught us through experience. But yes, time and time again, God takes care of us. It will require sacrifice. And then the fourth thing that we need to do when we're trying to, to pray and ask and be wise about where we give, how much we give, and, to where we, and, and whom we give it, um, we need to consider the return. Consider the return. Remember, God's economy, different from our economy. Literally, figuratively, not the same. Most of the time, we think that our return on an investment is going to be money. But very often, we we never see the return tangibly. But it's there. It's there. Um, God's economy versus ours. 1 Corinthians 16, 12. Now concerning the collection of the saints, for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. He's, he's already talked about the circular letter in Galatians. By the way, a good Bible student here, uh, It knows you know Galatians was written before 1 Corinthians even though they're not in that same order in Scripture. But either way, neat little clues there. Um, but he's like, this is what you need to do. Instruct your local church that on the first day of the week, when they collect their funds, go ahead and set something aside for the church so that when things run low at the end of the week uh, they're not going to blow through it as he may prosper he may have more money but either way like don't blow it set it aside on the first of the week so that when i come and i collect for the church the church that's the way collections work back then through the local church for the capital c church he's like so when i come we're not going to have to ask it's already been done so before all that stuff. Again, first fruits kind of a thing, but then directing to the local church, the work of the church, uh, the body of Christ, the functioning uh, arms and feet and head and heart of Jesus. Like, give it there. And I know, like, people ask us all the time, "Do do you guys even take money? Yeah, we do. We got a box back there. It's a little box. You can drop money in there, but there's also online tools. Like, you can go and you can give. It's effortless, but it's still a sacrifice. But it is, like, it's easy. 99% of our people never write a check. We, we get, like, four checks a month, but everybody else, everybody else is online. Boom, and it just, it just pops in there. It's magic. It's magic. Digital magic, but either way, magic. And I want you to know, like, God's economy versus ours, if we're thinking about places that we need to give and when we need to give, how much we need to give, number one, I would encourage you, as faithful followers of Jesus who are involved in the local church, the local church should be your first place as evidenced by here in Paul, but also uh, evidence through the rest of the New Testament. If you read the book of Acts, like the book of Acts, like uh, Glad and Generous Hearts, Acts chapter 2. They were giving to it all as any had need kind of a thing. That's what the local church does. They were the church functioning there. They didn't have a treasure at the time, but they had a central pot. And the central pot was, if you have excess, put it in the central pot. If you have need, come and take from the central pot. That's what the local church does now. We serve as the pot. It's what we do. So the local church would be one of the first places. Secondly, I would say family needs. Family needs. Galatians also tells us, find every opportunity to do good, especially good for those in the household of faith, like the family, those bound together under Jesus, saved by the gospel, the Savior living in us, the Spirit guiding us, known by the Father and knowing the Father, making the Father known, that family, like looking after family needs. And again, I've praised you guys for that. Like, people come all the time. People have come several times. Somebody else came last week. They're like, hey, if anybody has a need, let me know, and I will take care of it. And I'm like, hey, man, that's awesome. They don't need to know who I am. I don't need to know who they are. All I need to know is, they, are they family? Do they have a need? I'll give to that. That's great. On top of what they're already contributing through the local church. And I'll, I'll go ahead and throw that in there, too. So that's, that's awesome. That's to be celebrated. Thank you for the families that have done that. Throughout COVID, that was another great blessing to be able to do that. Thank you for people that give above and beyond just because family has needs. So local church, family needs, the other would be other good works. You may know missionaries, and they need support. Support them. Absolutely. That's a great place. That's kind of like a no-brainer. People are out doing the work of the Lord in a place that you can't go, but you trust them with how they're handling the gospel and the fruits of the Lord. Absolutely. If they need support, support them. It's a great place to send your money. It's a great place to steward God's kingdom resources. Yes, direct them here. That would be great. And then D, Scripture gives us a a declaration of widows, orphans, poor. We need to take care of them. So if you find opportunities to do that, do that. But I will tell you this, Origins Greenville does all of those things already. And I'm not telling you not to give towards those things, but but we have been convictionally uh, standardized with our budget to to show you the way that we steward resources. Like 10% off the top, as soon as it comes in for us at the beginning of the month, it goes out. 10%. And so that goes to church planting, uh, partners that, we plant, that we've helped plant churches. Or they're planting churches, and we're trying to assist them. We didn't plant the churches. They did. Anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, they're doing that. We want to help them. Uh, Piedmont Women's Center is a place that receives uh, some generosity from us because we trust what they're doing. They're loving women who are avoiding abortion and want to raise their kids or find a place to, to have their kids raised. They handle the gospel well. They handle those women well, and they love them in the name of Jesus. And we say, look, we want to help you do that. Uh, PMAC, other Love the City stuff that Zach Stewards, like each month, there are places that we are able to bless and love because they're, they're chasing people in the name of Jesus. Miracle Hill, we do that. And then, again, we've got a little discretionary funding like what comes up in the given month. People in the city that need that, how can we do it? 10% every month. And at the end of the year, most of the time it's a little over that. But just as a standard, we're like, if you're entrusting us with your resources that are God's, it comes in, it's still God's, we want to make sure that we give those away. And and we're grateful that we get to do it. Again, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. If you'd like to sit with me on a Tuesday morning, the first Tuesday of the month, yeah, come sit with me. We can type it out and send money because that's when it happens. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But it's because of people's generosity because people are starting to catch this idea that uh, it's not ours, it's God's. He's expecting us to do good stuff with it and we need to. So, I think for us, when it comes to money, like, the, probably the smartest thing that we can do um, is just, again, ask God, like, how much, where, and, I mean, what to give, how much to give, and where to give it. How much to give, where to give, and, and how much to give. Uh, and just do that regularly. You know, whether, whether you're on board with the tithe or not, that's okay, um, and I'm not going to try to convince you of that. Uh, if we sit down and do a study, that's something else. But, but there's no way that we can escape this idea that God directs our giving, and we need to be obedient to that. But we can't be obedient unless we ask and listen. Like, God needs to direct it. So in order for him to direct it, we actually need to ask with expectation, God, what you tell me to do, I'm going to do. What you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Um, money's confusing and it's stressful. One way that we can pull away from that is just to admit it's not ours. It's not, it's not mine. It's all yours, God, and, and you're, going to, you're going to take care of it. You're going to disseminate it. You're going to put it in people's hands that can do great stuff with it. You're going to convict me when I do stuff wrong with it. You're going to direct me where I need to give it. If I'm just listening to you, if I'm trusting you for who you are, if I really know the nature, the characteristic, and the person of God, then we're going to figure that out. Stop holding on so tight. It's not yours to hold on to I statements, I need to stop holding on so tight because it's not mine to hold on tight to you. Just trust God with it. If, I do want to throw this out there. If you struggle with, A, knowing who God is, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love, I'd love to sit and chat and just walk you through that. And, and let's, let's figure out together who God is. B, if you struggle with the pluses and minuses of money, like setting up a functional budget. Like, that's not my area, but we have people that are great at it. And they would love to sit across from you and, and pull out that whiteboard or spreadsheet or whatever those nerds do and just do it. And, and, that, and they would love it just to help you. Because, man, at some point, at some point, we have to grow up. And think about what comes in, what goes out, and how best can we use it for the glory of God. And it's a good day. It's a good day. Uh, Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to worship one more song. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for uh, the power to change people. Thank you, God, that your gospel is not uh, home improvement or betterment. But, God, it is, like it's, it's making us new. And God, thank you that as a result of that newness, uh, we don't see things the way we used to. We don't manage the things the way that we used to. You're bringing us to a place that, uh, God, we want to see things the way that you do. Father, and that includes our money, which is yours. Uh, Father, I pray that convictionally, God, you would uh, direct us to, to open, open our hands more, to let go more, and just, just to let you direct us, let you guide us, so that we can be regular, sacrificial, and joyful in our giving so that we can plan to be generous, and even even then be generous on top of that when you compel us to do so. Um, Father, if we failed to build in margins, uh, then we failed to prepare for generosity. God, I pray that you would. You'd prepare your people. Direct us as to what to do, and may you receive the glory in it. Um, God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.